Heavenly Father, as we come to you uh, on this topic of prayer, I, I think we would all have to confess, Lord, we often feel weak in this area. We know not how to pray. We are so dependent upon your Spirit to cry from within us, to cry out to you, to help us to intercede. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to strengthen all of us, myself included, in our times of prayer, to remind us of things, to refresh us in things, and to teach us and instruct us from your word regarding this wonderful privilege we have of spending time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, to begin with, I might just kind of put a, a, a little bit of a caveat on the whole thing. I think oftentimes when we think of prayer, we think of prayer as some sort of obligation we have to be good Christians. You know, like, like okay, I, I, we need to pray because we're supposed to, or we need to pray because that's what, you know, if you chalk up enough time or, or whatever it might be. And, and I think that's just a completely wrong concept of prayer. Prayer is something that we desperately need because we need God. We need His help. And, and so it's this opportunity for us as weak creatures to cry out to the living God and for Him to hear us and answer. And so just understanding prayer and thinking of prayer in terms of a privilege and something that we, we want to be able to come to God in prayer, um, how useless our faith would be if we could not approach God in prayer. Um, and the disciples, you know, they had a request of Jesus. They wanted Jesus to teach them to pray. Now, I suppose there's probably a variety of motivations that were behind this request. But at least one of them, I suppose, would be that they observed Jesus in prayer and thought, you know, this is an important thing to him and it ought to in some way be important to us. And they felt uh, inadequate. Um, Patrick Miller wrote the following in his book on prayer, he said, the disciples' strange request to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, suggests what others have discovered, that prayer is something about which we have questions, perplexities, and problems, both in doing and in understanding, both in doing and in understanding. Now, maybe that's not your experience, but it certainly, I think, has been mine over the years is this uh, reality that I've got questions about prayer, uh, some things are perplexing, and occasionally you have problems, so we need... And that's in the doing and in the understanding. It's on both sides of that. So it's important that we learn to pray. It's important that we learn to pray because the church is a community of faith. And because we're a community of faith, we're called to be a praying community. I mean, to to say that we're a community of faith and to say that we're a community of prayer really are saying the same thing. They're really saying the exact same thing because you, you can't be a community of faith without prayer. Faith is this... Uh, confidence and trust in God. And so prayer is the language of that faith. We go to Him uh, in prayer because of our faith. Um, I, the psalmist cried, cried out, uh, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Now that was right after, in his desperation, he cried out and, 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 and really just, Lord, help. <laughs> it's kind of one of those Lord, help prayers. I believe, therefore I have spoken. It, it, it really is this, out of this Reality that I know you're there, even though right now it appears you're absent. I'm still crying out to you. 
And that's a, that's a kind of faith that the Bible honors. And, and that's what the psalmist had. And Paul even references that in Corinthians. Uh, and I believe so it's, it's true of us. Uh, Philippians 4, speaking to the, the, the Philippians, Paul writes, says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So, in everything, present your request to God. We're called to be a praying community. Ephesians 6, 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So, pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And... There's this aspect of being spiritually alert in prayer, that we are to be watchful, as we talked about this morning a little bit, and the idea that we're to be awake so that we can watch. There's this reality that we stand guard for one another in prayer, guarding one another in prayer. And we'll see maybe a little bit of how that works as we look at the prayers of Paul. Or Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devotion to prayer. Um, Jesus told the disciples the Garden of Gethsemane watch and pray so that you not fail or fall in temptation Uh, the spirit is willing but the body is weak so there seems to be this aspect of not only guarding against temptation in in prayer but but this idea that, that if we're going to have success against temptation we're going to have to spend time in prayer uh, and, and that there's a strengthening that can come from that. Um, and it, Paul seems to understand this idea of watching as a watching, not just for ourselves, but for one another. I think, at least my experience, and I don't know, maybe you've had a different background. I can only speak out of the background that I've currently seen and heard and saw, but I find that a lot of what... We talk about prayer and teaching on prayer and different aspects of prayer. There's a lot of talk about prayer as, well, how do I pray for what I need? Kind of, you know, the various things, whether it's my own spiritual growth, whether it's the stuff I want. I mean, on either side of that, it's still about me and my. But when I look at Paul's prayers, I find that he would understand this idea of watching and praying that you not fall in temptation. Not just be about, oh, I need to pray so I don't fall in temptation, but I need to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. It's this one another element of prayer. And, and so we'll see that as we look at Paul's prayers. There's this one another aspect of praying. Um, and in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Not, there's a lot to that verse that I don't understand. There's <laughs> a lot in the context of that verse that's, that's, that's serious. But I'm pretty sure that if, if it at least means this, uh, that Peter is saying to the church, there's a bunch of stuff coming to an end. So stop letting your mind be clouded with all that stuff that is uh, clouding your mind and, and, and see the unseen for what it is, and then you can pray more effectively. Everything's coming to an end, so be sober-minded. Be clear about what's eternal, not what's earthly. And with that sobriety, pray. So, prayer is essential. Prayer is important. We're called to be a praying people. But, but how do we learn to pray? How do we pray? Um, how can a, a, a believer, a young believer, or for that matter, a mature believer, be certain that he's praying for the right things? You're, you're familiar with what John said, right? He said, we can be assured that if we know God hears us when we pray, 
that we have whatever we've asked of Him. And we know that He hears us. How? Because if we pray according to the will of God, right? He hears us. So, if I kind of back into this, I, I, I realize if I can discover then what it is, the way God has taught us to pray, then, then we're going to be praying according to the will of God and we can be assured that He hears us and that those prayers are going to be, be answered. Um, I, d- I don't think... I'll go out on a limb here. I don't think that what John means when he says that, that, okay, these are the things you're wondering about praying for. Should I be healed? Should I not be healed? Should I get this or not get this? Should I take this job or not take this job? Lord, give me that job. Is that his will? I don't think he's talking about knowing what God's will is for your life, the particular things for your life, and if you pray those things, he'll answer them. To me, that just on a number of levels wouldn't make any sense. I think what he's saying is if you learn how to pray according to the kinds of things God wants you praying for and requesting, he'll hear your prayer and he'll answer them. Um, Not having some sort of insight into the future will of God. Um, How do we know that our praying has not gone amiss? Or maybe, maybe it's the, put it a little more simply, how do we stop praying the just the prayers? You know what the justa prayers are? How many of you have ever prayed the justa prayers? You know, you, every time somebody's getting ready to, to pray, it's the, okay, Lord, we just don't want this, and we just don't want that, and we just don't want the other. You know, it's just a this and just... And, you know, the funny thing is, when I hear that, I'm thinking to myself, that ain't just a what you want. You want that and a few other things, too. That's why you keep justa adding to the justa list. <laughs> but we get into prayer, and, and, and if you're, you know, like most people, we, we kind of lose... We forget how to talk, and so we get into this justa thing. Or we have a number of other things. We substitute phrases for justa that we use in prayer. Like we repeat the Lord's name like 20 times as we pray in the course of that prayer. You know, we laugh because we've done it, right? I mean, you know, and we, you know, we pray at community group, and it's like that's how the prayers go around the room. You've got the 20 slots for the name of Jesus in the midst or Father or you know, because we, it's like, they're like commas and periods, right? We have to pronounce them. And, and so instead of, you know, in the old Pentecostal circles, we used to just pronounce the commas and periods with a, ha, ah! you know, <laughs> Jesus, ah! <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so we kind of did it that way. But now we just throw in the word Jesus or Father or Justa for the commas and the periods. And, and that works as well. But I would suggest maybe that we can inform our prayers a little bit differently. And, and find them, uh, find ourselves a little less often searching for words. Um, many times, teachings on prayer are really teachings on all the promises that God will answer your prayers. And that's a good teaching. We, we study all the promises that God will answer our prayer. And the idea, of course, and I think to some degree correctly so, is if we understand that God will hear our prayers and answer them, we, we will pray more. And I think that's, that's valid. Uh, but it oftentimes still leaves us uh, unaware of what we should ask for. Because, for instance, we, we could read Mark 11, you know, 24, which, you know, what things soever you ask for, and uh, believing that you've received them, you shall have them, and think, okay, oh, we just need to believe and we'll have them. But if we don't read like Mark 10, which comes before that, and you have the two different requests to Jesus. Jesus looks right at his disciples and says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, we want to be at your right hand and at your left. Sorry, can't do that. So they didn't get what they asked for. And then he looks at the blind men. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see my sight. Okay, boom. 
they knew what to ask for. The blind man knows what to ask for. The disciples didn't know what to ask for. So there, it, you can't just take chapter 11, verse 24, as if that's some sort of, car, you know, whatever you ask for. It, it wouldn't fit correctly in the context. It's obviously the whatevers that are, that are appropriate requests of the Father. So just having promises that the Lord will hear our prayer and answer isn't sufficient. We ought to learn something about how He calls us to pray. Um, so our focus in this series anyway, is not going to be on how to get your prayers answered, but on how to pray prayers that ought to be answered. Okay, Not necessarily on how to get your prayers answered, but on how to pray prayers that ought to be answered, that are according to God's will. Now, the byproduct of that, of course, is that then we can know that they will be answered. Okay, so that's okay. I want to learn from example this week uh, from Paul. Uh, start there, see how long, far we get, um, and, and, and just make some observations on his prayer. Um, so, to start with, I, I want to look at some categories. I want to look at thanksgivings, thanksgiving prayers, and I want to look at requests, okay? And they're broad categories. There's a lot that I could maybe fit under those. But first, let's, let's look at thanksgiving. Paul prayed prayers of thanksgiving. And, it, and they weren't just Paul thanking God for what Paul received from the Lord, but they were Paul thanking God for others in the faith, other believers, and for the work of God in others. So note that he's thanking God for others, and he's thanking God for the work of God in others. Uh, look with me at Romans 1. We're just going to kind of peruse some of Paul's prayers together. And feel free if you want to raise your hand or ask a question in the middle of these. And if I happen to have an answer, I'll give it. And if I don't, we'll just move on and I'll pretend I didn't hear the question. Um. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to just read beginning in verse 8. Now, realizing Paul has not met this church. He's not been to Rome. Okay. <clears throat> but he says... First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So Paul has, as it were, an intuitive response to hearing about the faith of the Romans. And that is to give thanks to God for what he's heard about them. To pause in his life, and give thanks to God. I just think that in and of itself should be instructive to us. That we should have a two-way relationship with God that causes us to pause and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Those people I've never met, in this case, Paul's thanking God. This report I've heard of their faith, thank you. He goes on. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the, the way may be open for me to come to you. So, he not only gives thanks for them, but he prays that the Lord would open the way for Him to come to them. He's desiring to see them. And he's asking the Lord for the way to come. Now, that way is opened, as we discover in the book of Acts. Maybe not in the way he initially conceived. 
but that way is certainly opened for him. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So not only is he giving thanks for them, but that giving thanks for them leads him to praying that he would be able to see them. And that is motivated by a desire that they might mutually encourage one another, that he might be able to impart something to them. And when I read mutually encourage, that they might be able to impart something to him. That there's something that could, an exchange that takes place in that fellowship. Now, I think we can learn from Paul something here that's very practical for all of us. Because I don't know about you, I'm not planning to go to Rome and meet the Roman church. And, longing, and they're longing to see me and me longing to see them per se. Okay. I can long for the saints in Madagascar. We went back this last year and I had anticipation to see them. That's different. But what I can learn and what we can learn is the, the reality that we can begin to thank God for one another. And maybe we should think about our times of gathering together, whether they be our Sunday meetings or our community group uh, get-togethers, and asking the Lord, how can I... Encourage my brothers and sisters. And Lord, how can I go there being ready to be encouraged? That we might mutually encourage one another. You know, that, that's just sometimes something that doesn't fall on our radar screen. That we should just stop and ask ourselves, how, how, what am I to bring to encourage others today to our cor- corporate meeting? I mean, Paul was praying that for a meeting that was yet so far off in the future that he couldn't even put a date and a time on it, but it was so important to him that they might do that. And, and so this is his desire. He longs to see them. He's asking for the Lord for this opportunity that they might have this mutual encouragement. And I, I think that can inform and instruct our own prayers. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. By the way, just a a good practice to be in in the course of your week as you're spending time in prayer. Bring some variety to your prayers by praying through different portions of Scripture. You know, Paul's prayers, there are a lot of Paul's prayers. It would take you more than a, a couple of days to even go through those. And so that will bring some variety because as he prays for different things, it will give you thoughts about, okay, here are ways I can use this in my own prayer life. And spend time in the Psalms, spend time in the Lord's Prayer, and we'll have a chance to look at that as well, uh, Lord willing, in this series. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here you have Paul giving thanks for the Corinthian church because of His grace given them. How they had been enriched in every way. 
with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming their testimony about Christ among them. And that therefore they lack no spiritual gift. Now, think about this for just a minute. This is the Corinthian church. Now, of course, we know from the book of Acts that, you know, that was, that was a major deal in, in Paul's ministry. But we also know from the letters that there's a lot going on in Corinth. And there were a lot of issues in the church, right? And we tend to think of Corinth as, oh, my goodness, what was going on there? There's these conflicts and these infightings. You had one group wanting to spend the whole meeting talking in tongues. Uh, other groups that were, you know... Well, we were taking, having the Lord's Supper. Some groups were eating, bringing their food and eating it, and other, while others were starving right there in their midst. I mean, not exactly what we would think of as the model group, right? But Paul is giving thanks for them. And as he's praying for them, he's, he's, he's giving, because he's giving thanks, he's thinking about the things that God is doing in their midst. And, and I think, again, this can be instructive to us because. I don't know about you, but sometimes we are dealing with people that aren't walking particularly upright in the faith. And instead of grumbling and complaining and thinking of all the wrong things, what would happen if, if our knee-jerk reaction was to stop and give God thanks for these people? Contemplate what we could give God thanks for. That doesn't mean, I mean, obviously Paul still brought correction. Paul still brought rebuke where rebuke was needed. But I think it probably uh, adjusted the tone, right, of, of the kind of rebuke or the kind of correction that he brought because he was bringing them to the Lord in prayer. And so as we pray for one another, I think it will affect our relationships with one another. It's hard to pray for people regularly and often and to just walk around with a continual you know, sense of ill will toward them. Now, it's not hard to walk around with a continual sense of ill will if we're not praying for people and we're just contemplating all the, the wrong things they've done. I, I can remember, now I, I, one of the things, and we'll talk about this later in the series, is, is praying through the Lord's Prayer and, and how that can be useful in our times. And, and there's this one little clause in the Lord's Prayer that can be quite troublesome for me uh, if I'm holding on against somebody. And that's the one that says, Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Forgive me my sins if I forgive those. And, and there was a time period in my life when I was really struggling to forgive a brother. In fact, well, I wasn't really struggling to forgive him. I was, frankly, just basking in unforgiveness, I think. I mean, it would be a more accurate way to describe it. And in that season, as I prayed that, I was, it would just be one of those, Lord, forgive me my sins as I... Wait, hang, hang on a second. I don't, I'm not praying that right now. Just a second, Lord. Let me think about that. <laughs> And so then I would spend the next 10 minutes praying for the Lord to help me forgive that brother. Lord, I need, I, I need help to forgive that brother because I'm not forgiving and I need to forgive. Okay. And, 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 and frankly, it was about a six-month period of time where I had to stop right there and pray and ask the Lord for help. Now, maybe you've not had issues that you've had to struggle six months for, but I did in this case. And maybe it's just because I'm not as spiritual. Okay. It sounds like what you're saying, Pastor Jerry, is that Paul, like us, sometimes when we are, um, when we approach him in prayer, that it might be better to come in, um, approach him in a position of humility and humbleness, mm-hmm. um, and not 
and not be about you know my whatever you're criticizing or whatever problem you have specifically, but to approach him um, in meekness and mm -hmm. humility. Yeah, amen. It, it, Yeah, I think it might be flies, but I get the point, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree that, that, that definitely, I mean, there's, there's certainly a humility in Paul's approach, and certainly we must have a humility in approaching the Lord. Um, and, and, and I know that as, as, as we pray biblical prayers, they, they turn our hearts and minds, and, and they set our hearts and minds in a right way, in a right frame before God. I mean, for instance, just the Lord's Prayer as I used it in that particular context really forced me to have to deal with my unforgiveness. Okay, it, it, it forced me into that situation in a good way to have to deal with it and have to pray about it and have to seek the Lord because, frankly, I didn't want to finish the last part of that phrase because I, I knew if the Lord treated me the way I was thinking about that brother, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, if you'd have asked me, yeah, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said, "Yeah, I want it," but I wasn't really pursuing it. So there's a conviction that comes on the heart as one is really wrestling through those issues, um, and so that conviction, I think, can uh, lead one to uh, a place of of real, you know, interaction with the Lord uh, on that matter. So, you know, I think I think that can be. Uh, a part of it. Um, Paul with the Corinthians giving thanks for them. I think, you know, here these are, well, in chapter 3 he calls them carnal. They're, they're immature Christians. But yet he's spending thanks, give, spending time always giving thanks to God. I always thank my God for you. And I think that that's a huge takeaway for us to say, can we always thank God for our brothers and sisters? Can we walk down the list of those folks in our community group, even the ones that kind of bug us, and give thanks to God for them? You know, it's a lot easier to, to live the Christian life as long as we live it in isolation. Now, of course, I'm being facetious. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I'd say it's impossible. But it's easier in the sense that I don't have to wrestle with those things when there's nobody to wrestle with them about. But when there are real people and real issues and then I have to engage those things. I, I think Paul can help us grow in our love for others by learning how to give thanks for them if we follow his example. Um, Philemon, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So again, He's telling Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith. 
and your love. Do, do we hear about believers' faith? Do we hear about their love? When we hear about things that others in our body have done to serve others, do we stop and give thanks to God for what they have done? You know, I, I, I could go down and make a huge list of things we hear about where people are bringing meals over or providing gifts for. Or let's just talk about the, uh, uh, what do we call that, Gulf Coast Angels and the, the um, uh, Salvation Army um, Angel Tree, I think they call it. You know, the, the, the fact that there are so many of these opportunities here and people just gobble them up looking for opportunities to serve those in need and then go out of their way to make sure that those gifts are nice and, they, and, and, and they're uh, gotten to them on time and so forth and so on, do we stop and say, Father, thank you for the love that they are showing to one another, for the love they're showing to the needy, just giving thanks. It's, a, it's appropriate that we stop and give God thanks because, let's be honest, these things are a work of God. They're a work of God. So that's Thanksgiving. Now I want to kind of turn the the turn over to the topic of requests, and of course they're intermingled. And I've talked some about requests in the midst of Thanksgiving, because one tends to lead to the other. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of break down requests in the three areas, but not as if they're distinct categories. They're they're very intertwined. Um, but over all three of these areas, I want us to think about it this way: Paul. As we look at his prayers, and I think you'll see this, he evidently believed that prayer, in, in particular his prayer for the churches and our prayer, you know, that, that prayer for believers, fellow believers, was an essential ingredient for their sanctification. Think about that. Paul, and, I, and I'll, I'll build my case for this, but hear me. Paul evidently thought that prayer for believers by, by others was an ins- essential ingredient for their sanctification. Now we can, you know, we, we might, you know, we, we have good classes. We might have classes on, you know, what does it mean to be justified? Well, I'm justified by faith in Jesus. And so that's me and Jesus, right? I'm justified by faith in Jesus. And we might have classes on sanctification. How do I grow in holiness? But if you walk down the list of things that we talk about, in growing in holiness, we generally have things like, well, I need you know, study the Word, pray, do this, do that, do that, the other. Nowhere in those lists do we generally have others need to be praying for you, for you to grow in sanctification. But if it's true, then it's <laughs> that others need to be praying for you. What that does is it means your sanctification and my sanctification are mutually dependent upon other believers. Now, I can say that it's possible that what I just claimed that Paul believed is not true. It's possible Paul did not believe that. But if Paul did not believe it, Paul evidently liked wasting a lot of time. Because Paul spent a lot of time, evidenced by what his prayers are, praying for the sanctification of the churches. So he must have thought that that was an important ingredient for the sanctification of the churches. He must have thought that if I simply tell them, read your Bibles pray yourselves, do this, do that, do the other, that that would not be sufficient for their sanctification, but that rather prayers would have to be made on their behalf in order for them to grow in holiness. Otherwise, I can't explain his prayer life. I have no logical explanation for it apart from that. So I assume, I I come to the conclusion based on his own prayers 
that he must have thought that prayers of one person for other believers were an essential part of the other believer's sanctification. You, you follow what I'm saying there? And if that's true, and I think it is, then it really says a lot about the importance of us praying for one another. Amen? Okay, so let's examine the evidence. First, I want to talk about one of Paul's favorite prayer requests, one of my favorite prayer requests, one uh, very important prayer request, and that's requesting that we might see. Requesting that we might see. Uh, Look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Of course, I I referenced this earlier when I talked about Mark chapter 10, right? And the James and John asking the Lord for one thing, and then uh, uh, Bartimaeus asking that he might have eyes to see. And Bartimaeus gets his request. James and John don't. Uh, They were looking for the wrong thing. He was looking for the right thing. And I think that's instructive to us that if we really want (laughs) to, to have our request heard, we should be asking for eyes to see. And so Paul does that. He understands things that way. And in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse, um, well, verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So there's prayers of thanksgiving. But then he, now there's this request, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know or see the hope to which he has called you. You know by seeing these things, right? You pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So there's this knowing by seeing it that that he's talking about with these eyes of the heart, these spiritual eyes, if you will. Uh, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And he goes on to describe that power. But for the moment, let's just note that Paul is asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, of course, we know that spirit of wisdom and revelation is who? It's the Holy Spirit, right? And it is the Holy Spirit who fills us with wisdom and opens our eyes, revelation, so that we might see Him for who He is. Gives us that ability to see what otherwise won't be discerned. Now, I'm not talking about physical seeing, right? I'm talking about things that we, we see by faith. Things that are, are, are perceived on the heart level. They're not physically visible. Randy Alcorn said the following. He said, spiritually speaking, we live in the country of the blind. It's a good description of where we live, isn't it? The country of the blind. The disease of sin has blinded us to the God of heaven, um, which are real and yet unseen. The things, that, things which are real, we're blinded things which are real but are yet unseen. And so we're, we're blind to that. So what do we need, spiritually speaking? We need eyes to see. We need eyes to see. A.T. Pearson said, Things unseen and eternal are to the average man, distant and indistinct, while what is seen and temporal is vivid and real. Practically, any object in nature that can be seen or felt is thus more actual or real to most men than the living God. Well, that's true. I mean, that's true in experience. We see that, don't we? But because of that, we need eyes to see. You see, the reality is we are Bartimaeus. We need eyes to see. 
Jesus will pass us by if we don't clamor for eyes to see. It's important that we have eyes to see. Now, of course, if we're believers in Jesus, if we're disciples, and uh, we've, we've already, like Bartimaeus, asked for eyes, we've, re- we've, we've been given eyes to see, and we're following him on the road. But reality is that we know that <clears throat> sometimes Jesus gets off in the distance, and we, like Bartimaeus, again, need to ask for eyes to see. The things get clouded, and we need to have our eyes freshly opened to the reality of who he is. You know, having faith is not a one-time event. Now, I've had faith, and then I never need it again. Having faith is this reality that occurs, this new birth, right? We're given eyes to see. Can't see the kingdom of heaven unless we're born again. So we get new birth, we now have eyes, and yet we continually have this ongoing need for that, that eyesight to be renewed. You know, it's, 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 it's like I, I was number of years ago given glasses and a prescription, but that doesn't mean I don't, I no longer need to see an eye doctor. I still got to go back, right? I got to go back and have the prescription updated. <laughs> right now I'm doing pretty good, I think. <laughs> but every now and then I got to have that prescription updated so that I can see clearer again. And that's similar with faith. We occasionally need some updates in our prescription so that we can see clearer again. It's an ongoing um, increase in sight till one day we see plainly. We see uh, everything as we are seeing. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. This that we've arrived at a place where, where there's no longer the need for faith because everything's in full clarity and full vision. Um, but we're not there yet. So Paul prays that they would be given eyes to see the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of their heart. <clears throat> now. I'm, not a scholar, but I've been told that like this prayer is like all one long sentence. So it's not like separate, distinct sentences. So, so I don't know. But I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The eyes of your heart, that they may be enlightened in order that you would, uh, may know the hope to which he has called you. So this is all part of knowing God better, if you will. This is kind of what that looks like, to, to know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, my goal tonight is not to teach us about all of those things that are in his prayer request. There's a lot to be learned there that would be beneficial. And we've taught on that and we'll teach on it again in the future. But I'll suggest to you what I've personally experienced. And that's that since I've been about 17 years old, 16 or 17, I can't remember particularly when... I've been praying this prayer on a consistent basis and my understanding of what it is I'm praying for and asking the Lord to do for the people of God has increased and grown. It's helped me to pray this to understand what it is about. Now that may seem backward to you because you might think, well, you should maybe understand what you're asking for before you pray. But listen, I've got to go at things backwards sometimes and that's why I've had to back into this and I'm still learning about what it means. And that's true with all of these prayers, by the way, that we're reviewing. But I'm convinced that if we pray them, we'll understand more what they're about than if we just read them and study them. Not that we shouldn't do that too. We must do that too. But if we aren't praying them, we're missing the entire point for which they were written. And so we should spend time praying these prayers. There's so much in these prayers, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Um, But in prayer, things unseen and eternal are brought close and made vivid and real. Um, as an answer to prayer. Hold your place in Ephesians, because I want to come back to that in a minute. But go to Colossians 1. 
I guess they're close enough. You really don't have to hold your place. You can just turn back and forth, but whatever. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Now, again, this comes after Thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8. But here, verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for uh, you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I'm reading the NIV, the updated NIV. So, so verse 9 is a roundabout way of asking for them to have eyes to see. It's the same thing. That, that, you would, that God, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. Ah, something you can't perceive without His understanding, right? You're not going to see on your own. Through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So again, note the similarity to the prayer in Ephesus, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And then he goes, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So, why do we need to see? Because how we see affects how we walk, how we live our life, right? How we see what we see. I mean, if you ever walk into a dark room that you're not familiar with and you don't know what's on the floor, you generally go slowly and you might hit a few things and stub your toes, right? Because you can't see. If they turn on the lights, that will affect how you walk through that room. So how we see affects how we walk in the world, which is why we need eyes to see to start with, right? Or else we're wandering around like Bartimaeus. Because how we see dramatically affects how we live. Dramatically affects how we live. So we must pray for one another, not just for ourselves, but for each other that we'd be given eyes to see. Okay? So, verse um, uh, 11. The finished verse 10. So then we live a life worthy of the Lord, may please Him in every way. Bearing fruit, I'll finish verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, here's to my point earlier, real quickly. Paul is praying that the church would bear fruit. So he must have believed that the fruit of the Spirit, that's the kind of fruit we're talking about here, not apples and oranges. He must have believed that the fruit of the Spirit could be affected in the lives of these believers by the prayers of another. Sanctification, that's hence the point where I derive what I said earlier. And we could do it here and we can do it in a number of his other prayers, but you see the point there. That he's praying for their sanctification in this. Jesse. Well, I don't know if that's what he's saying here, but I think that's true. 
that we are called to be conformed to Christ and that, that ultimately, yeah, we're called to lay down our lives one for another and in prayer that looks like this. So I don't think that's an untrue statement. I don't know if that's what he's getting at the driving point here, but uh, it's certainly not an untrue statement, I don't think. You follow me? Um, so bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So this is, how do I pray for the church? How do I pray for those in my community group? Well, here's some great, a great prayer list, isn't it? That the Lord would give, fill us with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding, that we would really discern the, the world as He sees it, not as we see it. So that we may live life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, note the similarity to verse, from verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Now jump back to Ephesians, if you will, chapter 1 and verse 19. At the tail end of these things that Paul prayed that they would see, he says that they would see his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, and he goes on to describe that's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So if, you, if we need to walk in newness of life, if we need to overcome sin, if our brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling, you want to pray for somebody that's battling sin and it keeps falling back into the same temptation over and over again, pray that they would see the power that, that, that God has made available to them in Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that they would see what's available to them and they would then begin to walk in it and that they would be strengthened with that power so that they would be able to endure temptation and not fall in temptation. And so it, it kind of gives us language for that prayer so we don't just have to say, well, Lord, just to help them overcome that sin. Well, that's fine. That's a, you know, that's a starting point, right? But there's so much more we can ask the Lord for. And, 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 and He's given us these words. You know, sometimes people say, I just want to use my own words to come to God. Well, okay, but let me suggest to you that if you were climbing a mountain and they had a path that you could take, like, you know, we, we went up to Tennessee a few years back with the family. Uh, was it Tennessee? Where was that? Yeah, one of those. Carolina. It was Carolina. It was the Asheville area. And we went to this uh, mountain. And, you know, it's really cool to go up to the top. And one of the movies was filmed on this area. And so you get to see all of that. And it's really cool. But we took a nice path. And we were able to walk it all the way up there. Now, had we decided, well, we just want to take our own way to get up there. I've been like a week and a half maybe to get us up there. I might have lost two of my children along the way. But we're able to take this pre-cut path. And the words of Scripture provide us with a pathway, with words. We don't have to create our own path to, to get there. Maddie? Yeah. Right. Well, I I I love Hal's. You know, it's my favorite book on prayer. So, uh, next to the Bible. But but 
and it's outstanding, so I recommend it highly. I'm, I think if I don't have, it, I don't think the two conflict with each other. Because if I'm going to the Lord with biblical prayers for them, I don't think I'm striving for being too particular with God. I think that... Right, right. Well, I guess that's why I love to have the harness of the scriptures to guide my prayers. Maybe if that's a way to say it. I don't know if that's helpful. But. Um, look at chapter 3, and we'll close with this for tonight because time won't allow us to go any further. Uh, <clears throat> and, and this is under praying that we might be empowered. So, first, requesting that we might see, requesting that we might be empowered, and we won't even get to the third category. We'll look at that next, but next week. Uh, but look in verse 14. In fact, nah, we'll pause. We'll stop here because this is absolutely my favorite prayer of Paul's and I, I want to spend more time in it than tonight will allow. So we're going to pause there. Um, yeah, No, it is. It's truly my favorite prayer in, in all of Scripture, I think. And it's such an, a vital prayer. So I don't want to... Uh, give it short thrift. And so we'll pause here. And let me just open it up for questions. We'll have a few extra minutes for questions and answers and so forth tonight, or thoughts or comments like we've had. So, Karen? Um, I have really, when I pray, um, I don't pray the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like when I pray for people, I just pray mm-hmm. as the Lord would have me pray. But this is really exciting to be in this class, to be here, because I want to learn so much on how to pray mm-hmm. the scriptures to people in their situations. Because I think it knows it. Amen. Amen. And it's just that it's just it's just something that I, I have such a long way to go and have so much to learn. And, and this is just so helpful. Amen. Well, praise God. I'm I'm encouraged to hear that. Um, encouraged very much to hear that. Um, yes, Wayne. Yeah, I was going to say when I was listening to Jim speak, you know, uh, about being more Christ-like. Uh, you know, if I look at Christ on the cross, when he said, forgive them, mm-hmm. they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't even allow himself to feel the feeling of having a bad thought mm-hmm. about what the other people were doing and trying mm-hmm. to die. Right. You know, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not harming that person in the least. They haven't come to the consciousness and the realization of what they did, or they wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. You know, and so do I really have the power to forgive in the first place? If Jesus, my representative, gave even that to his father, do mm-hmm. I even have that power? You know, or really, am I just forgiving myself for having the thoughts of those human thoughts of wanting to get even or being angry? wanting to retaliate or, or the other things. And I try to remember that because every time I allow myself to cross that line, I'm taking myself out of the life. Because mm-hmm. the other person, they just go on with their own life like, oh, that guy's weird, he's crazy. Yeah. Half the time, they don't even realize what they did. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so why do I want to put myself in that position where I'm cutting myself off from my father? Right. You know? And I try to 
remember that with Christ in us. And that's not to say I'm perfect. It's every day of the week. You know, I'm driving my little boy to school. Somebody's text messaging and driving me out of the road. You know, and I just, I don't say what comes through my mind. You know, but, you know, answer me answer. You know, God forgive. You know, you know it's, it's not about me. Indeed. And I think the, the cross is always a good place to go for about every situation we can think of. It's a good place to go. Anything else? Yes, Jesse. Amen. That's the thing that's so awesome about it, about him with regard with his relationship to us, is that we can say to him, you know, I know I need to do this because you command it, but I don't feel able to. So help right. me to be able to do what you want me to do. And he right. does. Well, know, he, he strengthens our faith. He helps us to forgive. And, and, and if, you, if you've, you know, been around the world much at all and you've lived very long at all, you've met people that haven't been able to forgive, and they live their lives in this bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and the difference between what you are living now and what we're able to live when we do go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for this help, it shows the real power, the transforming power of God, because, man, there are plenty of people out there who are consumed with bitterness and unforgiveness, and that's a miserable lot in life. A miserable. Yeah. It ain't going to happen, yeah. Right, and if, if you're praying, Lord, forgive that stinking person, you're probably not done yet. So <laughs> probably, probably need to keep praying, um, you know, something like that. Doug, did you have a question? Okay. Yeah. Was, uh, Emmy. You were talking before about, uh, it was something that you said about uh, if uh, Paul knew this or that. I don't remember the, exactly what you said, but it has something to do with encouragement, and I kind of had sort of like a picture of, uh, if Paul was so dependent on his the new life that God that Christ has given him, uh, that his prayer was like the lifeline and uh, his encouragement to the way he, he prayed and encouraged everybody else was to kind of project 
how important that kind of night was. Yeah, indeed. I I think there's something there's something there for that. Indeed, absolutely. And uh, I think that was when we were talking about Romans one and how he prayed that they might, when he did meet them, that it might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. But I mean, obviously, that was just that was Christ in him that was just so passionate for them that was just ebbing out in his prayer time. It's a joyous thing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've often said that when I, when I don't want to pray, that I should be praying and asking God to help me want to pray. And he'll hear that prayer. Uh, he'll hear that. Um, you know, if we, if we have doubts about God, the best place to go to them is to God in prayer. Because when he answers, that'll clear everything up for us. <laughs> clear everything up. So uh, he's the best one who can deal with, with our doubts. Um, in our unbelief. He, he, he more than any uh, can deal with him. Um, well, let's give the Lord thanks. Father, thank you for our time. I pray that uh, you've used us uh, just walk through these verses to be helpful uh, and instructive. In Jesus' name, amen.